Hello and welcome back to Multimodal. I'm your host, Baxter Future. This is a podcast about GPT-3, multimodal AI models like Dolly 2, the company OpenAI. In this podcast, I may talk about new OpenAI research and products, different community initiatives that are going on. I may talk about my own research, my own products. And in this podcast, I definitely try to make sense of what's going on. I try to look at the world from the perspective of a GPT-3 developer or perhaps a multimodal AI artist. Every once in a while, I'll throw out there, guess, extrapolate on what all of this could mean for the future. This is definitely not a podcast about today. This is a podcast about tomorrow. I want to thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Multimodal. We got a couple topics I want to cover. Uh, obviously, the breaking news this week has been Google Imogen. I want to chat more as well as the new DeepMind model. I believe it's pronounced Gato, Gato, whatever it's called. Um, I want to sort of give some context about some Dolly 2 stuff I've been experimenting with, particularly this whole oversized grizzly bear thing I've got going on. Uh, I want to give an update on some some stuff for the channel, and I definitely want to talk about my major Substack piece last week on recombinant art. This is a new idea, new term I'm throwing out there. It has a lot of, uh, I feel, ripple effects, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, and then I'll also just talk about, you know, different multimodal AI communities, I'll chat a little bit about the Dolly Discord, which was created a week and a half ago. And I also want to give an update on my project, Essays on Codex. This is something I had teased last year. I just want to give an update on that. So anyways, with all of that going, let's get started. So I can't remember if it was Sunday night, Monday night. Uh, you know, it's pretty breaking news. Uh, Google Brain, based out of Toronto, they launched... Google, uh, I don't know if it's a, officially a Google product, but they launched ImageGen, which is essentially their version of Dolly 2. Uh, in the research paper, they shared that, uh, you know, it has uh, comparable performance, in some cases, better performance than Dolly 2. It outperforms in certain metrics. The results seem pretty promising. Uh, you know, for some prompts that Dolly didn't do as well, ImageGen did better. Um, now, this product is uh, Google ImageGen is is not available uh, for public use. I don't think they have plans to to release it publicly, but I guess they put out the research paper and they put out this demo website as well, where you can go check it out. Um, now, I, I think it's great. I think competition is a healthy thing in this space. Uh, I just kind of was caught blindsided. Like I just wasn't expecting this product announcement, especially so soon. It appears to be timed very conveniently with with the Dolly release. Um, still, I mean, it's exciting research. It does have promising results. Um, based on what I saw from Google ImageGen, um, in some areas, I, it does look better. But in other areas, like while it is achieving the technical goals, like compositionality and other kinds of factors, I just like the look of the Dolly ones better. I mean, that's my opinion based on what I'm seeing. However, it's hard for me to comment on ImageGen unless I've actually tried it. Right. Like I just can't comment on multimodal AI tools, prompt alignment, uh, all these different things from the perspective of a user unless I've tried it. Um, and so like and also both in both cases, whether it's Dolly or ImageGen, to some degree, you are, you know, it's about your taste level and picking the things you like um, and your intuition for it. And two different people might not like the same things. So it's also very subjective is, is all I'm saying. Um the ImageGen announcement was was still pretty cool, um, and you know I think for the time being, 
uh, if if you are interested, the best thing to do still is is to sign up for the Dolly Two waitlist. Like there, I don't even think Imogen has a waitlist. It's just a research paper and a demo website. Uh, there's just a lot of safety concerns. I think that that's what the Google research paper pointed out. So I just can't see them releasing it maybe in the future or if they decide they want to pursue this in a really major way. Um, it says a lot about the state of research. Like I feel Dolly 2 is a bigger bet coming from OpenAI. It's more existential. Uh, the Imogen stuff like this appears to, I mean, I, it feels like maybe Google just does this stuff on the side for fun. Right. So, you know, I think it's there's a little bit of a power firepower difference going on here. Uh, research paper is still cool. I, I was having trouble picking out the novelty in that paper between that and the Dolly 2 paper. Uh, but again, like I'm not a machine learning researcher. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's still exciting and it's it's cool to have different options. Uh, in my very first video on Dolly 2, like my first impressions, I also mentioned that I feel like Dolly 2 has a look. Like it's this very cutesy kind of look, uh, especially good for digital art, especially good for, you know, digital art with animals, like stuff like that. Um, so far, like I'm not really connecting with the Imogen look based on stuff I'm seeing so far, like just overall, like the the character or the, you know, the, the, the character, like the characteristics and the quality of the Imogen model is just... I don't know. They don't, I don't like them as much as I like the Dolly ones, but maybe I'm biased. And also like, maybe I'm just used to the Dolly ones at this point. Right. So anyways, again, like I, I have to really try Imogen. I don't know if I'll get a chance to, uh, to really get a comparison and to share different stuff. Uh, but anyways, like that, I think that was the big news. Um, <clears throat> also, uh, a, a week and a half ago, Google launched, uh, they, they sort of, uh, DeepMind, I'm sorry, DeepMind put out a research paper on their new model called Gato. I'm probably mispronouncing it, but um, there was something about this research paper. It was very compelling. It's a single model that uses the same weights that can solve all of these different tasks. Like you can chat with it. It can do image captioning. It can control a robotic arm. It can play Atari games. And I've read the research paper a few times now, and it just seemed like a different approach. It seemed exciting. The model is only, uh, you know, a billion parameters or so. And I got a similar vibe, like something very similar to the GPT-3 research paper when it dropped in 2020. I felt this was a significant milestone in the AI community and the AI research space. Um, it feels like the Gato model has significant implications. I can't quite put my finger on exactly what, but you know, the, I mean, the idea of the model is it has the same weights, but it can do all of these different tasks. Right. Um, and in some cases better than human, human performance and the model is so small. Um, it's getting, in my, in my opinion, just very, very much closer to, um, a very general agent. And of course, it is a multimodal model, which is also why I felt it was important to to share that update here on the podcast called multimodal. Uh, so anyways, interesting stuff coming from Google, interesting stuff coming from DeepMind. Uh, Gato again, like, I don't know, like I need to try it. I don't know if they have plans to open source it or anything of that regard. Uh, sort of, I guess, one of the benefits of OpenAI is you get to try this stuff. They constantly open source their things. They've, they've open sourced so much of their clip stuff. Um, you know, they open source code base, the actual code bases they're using, they share the different models and stuff. There's a lot in their research papers and the exhibits on their process and stuff. So 
anyways, like the Google stuff though is, is still significant. Um, uh, you know, and I, you know, one, one area that I may be critical is like, I'm all, I'm just been so busy with Dolly lately and just other stuff because GPT-3 and Dolly alone keep me so busy. I, I just don't have time to really look into stuff like Gato and, uh, ImageGen as much as I'd like to. Um, but still they're really interesting developments that I, I, I guess in this case, I want to put more of the onus on you guys, like keep it on your radar. Uh, it seems very significant to me. Um, and you know, it seems to me to be a taste of the future, especially Gato. Uh, the image, the image and stuff, we're, we're going to see how that pans out. Uh, so moving on. So one interesting development as well. So Google ImageGen used one of my prompts in their actual research paper. Uh, and so the original prompt was like my very viral tweet. Uh, it was a photo of a confused grizzly bear in calculus class, something like that. Uh, and so my tweet went viral. It was, I guess, just a demonstration of Dolly's capabilities. Um, and that prompt was also used in the Google Brain research paper on ImageGen. Uh, it was just really exciting to see that, you know, that piece of perhaps computer vision AI history is there with the prompt that I wrote in it. Um, now, in my opinion, the, the, the Google Brain version of Imogen does not look as good as the Dolly one. But again, the Dolly one, it was more about the character's unique, you know, you know, the, the way his, you know, arms are around his head and he genuinely looks distressed. Like that piece, I think, was just a rare gem of a piece, right? So I, I don't know. Like it's maybe harder to compare in that way. The image and one still look still look pretty decent. Um, I just think the Dolly one was just a more unique kind of generation, which is why it did so well. But anyway, so I, I think it's about time that I sort of uh, explain myself a little bit <laughs> on this whole oversized grizzly bear thing. Um, so, like, uh, what what what? Where it started was just randomly, uh, like me personally, like I, I was just thinking like what kinds of life experiences, emotions, these kinds of things, what do I want to capture now that I have access to something like Dolly 2? Um, and for me, like I've always hated math ever since middle school, high school, I would go as far as to say I found it traumatizing. I did not like the math curriculum. And it's funny because I'm a coder, right? So clearly I have some logical capabilities. Um, and obviously, like if I need to use math in the process of building something or something code related, I can grasp the concepts decently quickly, but just purely on its own, like math, the subject, like it's just, there's something about it that it's just not my cup of tea. And so anyways, I just one day just ripped, ripped up, like, you know, just typed it in like photo of a confused grizzly bear in calculus class, just, just as a expression of where I was at just a few years ago. And uh, the Dolly generation did really well. It went viral on Twitter. And I sort of really liked this theme of confused grizzly, of just grizzly bears in general. Um, and so over time, I started adding the word oversized in front of grizzly bear into the prompt. And the reason is like a lot of the times the, the grizzly bears just come up too small or they come up human sized, or perhaps like I've noticed they often come up like teddy bear size or even looking like teddy bears, right? And so oversize is sort of my way to counterbalance it, at least try. It's a little bit like, like, like sloppy. Like I can't guarantee it works every time or that in some prompts, if it's making a, a complete difference, but I think for the most part it is. 
And I've also started including it because I've noticed it just also triggers people <laughs> that I put oversized in there. I mean, I think it's I think it's funny. I think it's you know, I think I'm having fun. It's a prompt, right? Um, and from this single uh, grizzly bear in calculus class, like I've come up with so many different situations this bear could be in. Uh, he's been at you know Paris Fashion Runway, the Paris Week Fashion Runway. He's been at H and M trying on T-shirts. Uh, I got the Imagen comparison for that as well, um, and I'll put that up on the screen. Imagen version of that prompt versus the Dolly version. But anyways, like um, like I've just uh, <laughs> like this been so many scenarios. They do well. I think it makes people laugh. I think it's entertaining. I think Dolly excels at it. And I'm sort of noticing like this whole oversized grizzly bear thing is becoming a meme. I've noticed more people add to it and contributing to on top of it. And so like I'm excited perhaps it could become synonymous with Dolly 2 almost the same way the armchair in the shape of the avocado was synonymous with Dolly 1. Um, and so it's just fun and exciting to see. Um, I, I also just want to add like I think there is something about bears now that I've had some some little bit of hindsight, like uh, originally, if you go back, like I tweeted that I want to become the world's greatest cat meme consultant. Like I want to specialize in making memes with cats using Dolly 2 and consult brands like Airbnb and Pepsi. Um, that was originally what I tweeted. Um, and I did try along the way to drop some cat memes and they did decently well. I think one of the reasons the bears do better uh, I think maybe there's something about it on the internet. We just haven't seen too much bear-related meme content. Uh, whereas we've seen a lot of cats and dogs. Bears are still mammals, just like cats and dogs, right? So I think there's some more relatability there. Uh, also, bears are dangerous in real life. Like, it's not like you can just try to get a bear to sort of uh, play along with you for this funny, cool photo for a meme, the way you could a cat or a dog. Bears, you know, there's more uh, distance, right, between us and them. But with Dolly, we can incorporate them in all of these situations, right? And I think bears are still, we grow up with a very positive take on them, right? Like you look at the teddy bear, you look at Paddington bear, Bernstein bears. Like there's all these examples of very friendly bears. Um, and so for all of those reasons, I, I just think the bears... The oversized grizzly bear thing is is just doing well. I think we have some fascination. Maybe I've tapped into something greater in our psychology. Uh, and, you know, like I'm excited to just keep dropping some bear-related Dolly generations. Um, and I've even considered putting together a little ebook of just this, maybe a, little, a small perhaps story of the oversized grizzly bear. You know, he's all the way from he's in calculus class to maybe he retires on a farm, some, something of that sort. Um, and it's just exciting to see the, the grizzly bear thing, take, take wings, take a life of its own. And, uh, I've also been meaning to reach out to OpenAI. Like I understand that, you know, for now the policies are the way they are. Like they, they retain ownership, uh, all these other things. But for the most part, for a lot of the stuff I've generated with Dolly too, I'm totally cool not just putting it in creative comments. To be honest, I think I'm even cool putting them in the public domain. And so even before commercialization, like I almost want to reach out to OpenAI and just ask them, you know, have you guys considered creating just even starting with the process of uh, creative commons or, or, or public domain stuff? Like before we're even talking about money, 
can we have some kind of process going where you can just put it out there, creative commons, public domain. Uh, a lot of what I do is just as a resource. If it's on Substack, on my, on my YouTube, on Twitter, like I think that's sort of how I see my role. And so like, I don't know, like I don't mind at all if, you know, my Dolly images are like, maybe there is some way that, you know, we could get them uh, to sort of, you know, get the ownership structure changed here. I, I don't know fully, but it's something I've considered reaching out. And part of the reason I, I wouldn't mind being the guinea pig here when it comes to ownership stuff, um, I think it could be a great thing for the culture, uh, for Dolly 2 users, for multimodal AI in general. If we have a culture less centered around ownership, more so on collaboration, more so on adding on top of people's work, uh, if we start off with a highly curated, you know, portfolio of Dolly 2 generations, which are completely creative commons, completely public domain, uh, I just, and, and high quality, like, I just think it will be the right seeds and the right situation for a community and something much bigger. So anyways, like, I, I think I'll put it as like a follow-up note. Like, um, like I'm, I'm pretty cool with, you know, putting these images out there and seeing wherever they go, how other people incorporate them. Uh, but like, you know, in the meantime, OpenAI still owns them. The, you know, the Dolly signature has to remain. It can't be used for commercial purposes, all these, all these different things. Um, and you know, like I, I just want to have that conversation and, and just see where it goes. Um, so moving forward, I, so I have actually a, a pretty, pretty big announcement today. Let me drink some water. So last summer I put out a series GPTX Dolly and our multimodal future. Um, as you all know, this series was about the future of creativity and AI. Um, and it was about the intersection of these different dimensions, right? So this dimension of GPT-3, perhaps in the future, GPT-4, GPT-7, I called it GPT-X. The intersection of language models like GPT-3, the intersection of multimodal AI models like Dolly, and the intersection of this dimension of human creativity. What do all these three things combined mean? Uh, and you know, where could it potentially go? And so I had designed GPTX Dolly and our multimodal future. Uh, it's, you know, meant to take place anywhere from like last year up until I think I said like, uh, 20, uh, 2031 or something like that. Right. Two to 10 years. And so, um, the, the series is meant like, so if you jump to the future, what, what will be the main ideas? What are the main samplings? Uh, looking backwards, right? What were the most important developments? How did it change things in the most significant ways? Um, and so that's what the that's what the series was about. Obviously, like I'm I'm really proud of it. I think it's you know done really well. I almost see it as like a a good intro to just the whole multimodal AI world. It, I think it does a good job explaining what all the excitement is about. And also the thing with this series is. Um, I, I think it, uh, I, you know, before even I tried Dolly to, I think I nailed a lot of the key ideas. So I, I'm really proud of that. And I think the whole series in hindsight is kind of a red pill. <laughs> like you take it and then you suddenly may be exposed to a different worldview about how things could pan out. And like definitely one of the key ideas of the series, like my personal belief by the end of the decade, perhaps even sooner anyone will be able to even just enter text and generate a whole movie, right? Like that, that is how crazy this stuff is. Like in the way it's kind of a red pill 
And it seems like possible to me, very possible. I've heard people say it's almost an absolute within the decade, you know, perhaps two to three years, like it's even sooner. And um, the fact that most of the world hasn't realized this, right? I almost feel like they need to watch the series <laughs> and then maybe some of this stuff makes sense. So anyways, uh, the series, like, I'm really proud of it. I dropped it last year. Um, and today I'm excited to announce this summer, I'm late summer, I'm hoping to release part two of GPTX Dolly and our multimodal future. Um, I'm going to start working on it right away. Um, but essentially last, last series, you know, we talked about societal effects. I shared important creative lessons of the future. I talked about what it means for you to be a creative, how you can make money. I talked about some of the larger philosophical ideas of, of something like Dolly and what it could mean for the future of human creativity. Uh, but also I did sort of build out this sort of, uh, beta proof of concept windows program, which I called the multimodal photo editor, uh, in part two of the series, which I'm releasing hopefully this summer, uh, we will be exploring just the multimodal photo editor. Uh, I want to talk more about, uh, future software capabilities what these future tools could look like, what they could help us accomplish, why it's so exciting. Um, and also like perhaps how your workflow as a creative, uh, may or may not change. And so this will be a very heavy software kind of series. Uh, I I'm not making it necessarily with the same educational qualities as the last version as I, not the last version, but the previous series. Um, I'm not, uh, you know, talking too much about the societal and philosophical stuff. And part of the reason is a lot of that stuff I'm already talking about now, right? I'm talking about it as I go along. Um, and part of it is like, I'm really proud of this series. Like I, I don't want to, uh, I want to be in a different area, a different part of the space. Um, I think it's sort of stands on its own. There's no reason for me to change it or build on it. I, I don't know. So we're just going to be focusing in on the multimodal photo editor. What could a future version of it look like? Uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to maybe I may talk about future kinds of engines like Dolly three, Dolly four, like what kinds of capabilities would a multimodal AI artist want? Um, and I'm just really excited. Uh, it's just going to be a very heavy software based series. And I'm still working out like how as a video <laughs> it will work uh, as a series. Um, I still got to write the script. I still got to make the software, but anyways, I just wanted to put that, uh, announcement out there. Uh, GPTX Dolly and our multimodal future returns this summer. I'm super excited. Uh, next I, I want to talk about a big, uh, Substack news article I dropped last week. Uh, it's called, uh, it's about recombinant art. Uh, it's called, I think it's called Dolly Two recombinant art and design. Um, and so this is a phenomenon that I've been trying to name and label for close to a year and a half now. Um, basically when I tried, uh, when I was working on the series, the very first lesson in the series is called mixing and texturing. It's this idea that AI enables us to mix different, uh, concepts, things, ideas, objects in new and exciting ways that, you know, is a lot harder to do now. Uh, AI does not only have a command over drawing an apple, for example, in the same way a human does, right? Uh, AI can help us imagine an apple, 
uh, in in the shape of an orange, or I guess in the style of an orange, <laughs> right? Like uh, some kind of combination of an apple and an orange. Um, and so, um, I I felt this this that 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 lesson was so important. It was the first lesson in the series, and. I remember writing the script and I was just like, I need a word for this phenomenon of just mixing things and combining them in new ways using AI. But it felt too early and I just didn't want to throw in a new word. And I was still <clears throat> hesitant to name something unless I've experienced it myself, right? So keep in mind, like the series had not even, I, I, I had made it without even trying Dolly 1, right? So like I, I could not really... I didn't want to oversell it and I don't want to label the phenomenon before trying it. Um, so anyways, like uh, now that I'm using Dolly 2, I am myself creating a lot of these different kinds of combinations of things, right? Oversized grizzly bear, crypto bro at H&M trying on a shirt, right? There's like four different concepts there, right? Uh, you know, my armchair, I, I released a whole video on armchairs in the shape of avocados and taking it even to that next level. I had this very freaky <laughs> armchair in the shape of an avocado in the style of the Lion King, <laughs> right? Because with Dolly 2, not only can you generate an armchair in the shape of an avocado, we can also style it <laughs> like the Lion King, right? Um, and so anyways, the, the word that I ended up coming up with for this phenomenon of just mixing things using AI and coming up with new things, uh, I'm calling it recombinant, recombinant art. And the, the term comes from genetic engineering, where basically you're, you're sort of taking at least two uh, fragments, pieces of DNA and combining it into something new. And I, I think in my article, I'm really excited about it because with multimodal AI, we're not just I like it, combining objects, we're often combining the essence of different things. So what do I mean by that? Uh, you could, uh, you know, type in a photo of a piano keyboard uh, in the style of the collective works of Shakespeare, <laughs> right? Like, and collective works of Shakespeare is a pretty abstract prompt, right? Like it's pretty abstract, but the AI model uh, up to this point has some idea. What might the collective works of Shakespeare visualize? What would that look like when combined with a piano keyboard, right? Um, it, the, and so it's about sort of combining the essence of, of different things into new things. What is the essence of a grizzly bear? What is the essence of the collective works of Shakespeare? What is the, you know, what is the essence of the Lion King? How can I apply that to the armchair in the shape of an avocado? Um, and you know, so the article is really exciting. I talk about why we ended up with this kind of format of writing prompts in this way. Uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with the tech industry itself, how it looks at the world, how it thinks, and you know, how does that compare in the article? I talk about how it even compares to previous forms like remixing or sampling, uh, sort of the, the gist of it is that, you know, previous layers of media and digital, especially digital media and creativity, uh, I think there were very explicit representations. So uh, if you were a DJ, you know, you're doing a remix of something, you had a very explicit copy of one song and an explicit copy of another. You may add some additional beats on top of it, but it was a very explicit representation. Uh, if you were a rapper, 
Uh, you might, you know, sample beats. You might speed them up, slow them down, adjust the pitch. But in the end, when you're making that song and sampling it, you are still using a very explicit representation uh, with recombinant art and multimodal AI art. In the article, I basically, my, my argument is that it is about implicit representations, right? It's the model has an implicit representation of what, what it means when I say collective works of Shakespeare, what it means when I say Lion King. And basically, recombinant art is about using the essence of things, manipulating the essence of things, and combining them in new and interesting ways. Uh, in the article, I even, uh, you know, talk about what could be after <laughs> recombinant art mixing. And I basically argue it's recombinant art texturing. Imagine layering in, uh, having multiple layers of the different essences of things uh, and, you know, um, this the, these different layers or perhaps some node-based approach would, you know, produce something entirely new that you would look at it. You have no idea, you know, what are all these different essences? What are all these different things that are being combined? It just looks like something new and different that you've never seen before. So anyways, the article's out. I even made a video explaining the article in more detail. I'm really excited and I want to be clear. I will be using the term recombinant art on the podcast going forward. I may say, what will the recombinant look like? I may say, you know, we're combining the recombinant of this and the recombinant of that. This is a new term I'm proposing. Um, and just to be clear, I'm going to continue using it and I'm open to any feedback or if there's alternative terms that people think we should use, I think it is important to capture a name and label for this phenomenon uh, because it's so significant. We may be looking at some serious art history here, and we should have a term to describe what we're even doing. I think it just makes it easier to communicate and collaborate and, and be creative. Um. So I got invited to the Dolly Discord about a week and a half ago. Um, this is just a Discord for people who currently have access to Dolly 2. Uh, so far, it is very exciting. And I don't want to keep harping on the series, but in the series, I talked a lot about this idea of creative acceleration. This idea that through AI, artists and creatives will actually advance creativity itself. And we'll find new things, discover new things, whole new genres, whole new kinds of experiences. I have already started to notice the Dolly 2 space is heating up and accelerating on this Discord. I'm seeing new kinds of prompts. I'm seeing new kinds of images. Um, and of course, the community is getting bigger as well. They are sending out more Dolly 2 invites. But I, I feel like I'm learning and I almost feel like this is like a dance circle here, right? Uh, this is where people are hanging out, sharing where they're at. You might learn from somebody else. You might pitch into their ideas like... Uh, Likewise with um, the r slash Dolly 2 subreddit, that is another place where, you know, you're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, different different prompts, different generations. The good part about Reddit is it's upvoted by a community. So you even have an idea about what's resonating with the audience, what's cool, what's connected. Without the Dolly 2 community, I don't know if I'd, I'd really know if the, uh, the oversized grizzly bear, like if that's doing that well if people are reacting to it. Now, in terms of acceleration, I would actually argue at this point, the Dolly 2 Discord is accelerating faster than the Dolly 2 subreddit. I mean, this is unfortunate. Most people just don't have access to the Discord because they don't have a Dolly 2 invite. 
Uh, but I just, uh, I just think like, uh, these are the two areas. I just want to share that observation where I'm seeing it. I'm feeling myself grow as a creative and an artist by hanging out in both of these communities. By the way, I had a chance to check out mid journey, uh, which is sort of a dolly competitor. And, uh, they also have a very active discord community. I was actually pretty blown away and, and surprised. Uh, now their whole thing is the community. It's sort of like it's built community anyways. Like it's sort of like everybody is sh always sharing their prompts in the community anyways. Uh, but, you know, they have some interesting stuff going on with their bots. You can click buttons and see another version of something. And like it's it's like crazy busy. I think there's at least a couple thousand members in there. And so I did also feel a lot of acceleration on their Discord. And also I think that community is doing a lot with their prompts. I think they're innovating actually a lot more with their prompts than even that I'm seeing with the Dolly 2 community. But again, their community is many times larger and they've had a lot more time to play around with Midjourney. But anyways, yeah, I just wanted to also provide just like a brief community update. Uh, finally, so last, last year I teased my next upcoming series, Essays on OpenAI Codex. Now, I'm still very excited about the series. I still think about it. Uh, you know, I listen to different music. There's different elements. I want to make it. Unfortunately, because of Dolly and all this stuff going on, I've had to put that project on hiatus. I'm not sure when I will get a chance to reopen it and look at it between the YouTube, the podcast, the upcoming version two of GPTX Dolly at our multimodal future. I just don't have time for essays on Codex. Uh, which is a real shame because I was very excited about that series. And so I just wanted to share for anybody who's waiting or what's up with that. Um, maybe, maybe later in the year, maybe fall, maybe winter. Uh, the series has also changed a lot. Having started writing it, it's different from what I had originally pitched on the podcast last year. Um, I could share some details about essays on Codex. So uh, originally, the series was supposed to be about um, like essays on Codex. Like Codex is an OpenAI product. I think it has significant implications for not just programming or developers or technology, but the world at large. Um, and in the series, I wanted to sort of uh, look at it from the perspective of a film critic or, you know, like a film essay, film analyst. Like, you know, what do all of these things mean? Think of something like Nerd Writer One, you know, very popular YouTube channel, and just sort of share these thoughts about OpenAI Codex. Um, the way it panned out as I started writing it, um, I actually found the series is not so much about OpenAI Codex. A lot of it is about me. It's about my journey with programming. I started when I was really young. And so what does codex mean to me you know how has it changed how i think about coding and my role in the future my career all these different elements uh this series by the looks of it is like i feel pretty mature like it's you know it's about me perhaps i'm getting older you know my lifestyle is changing my friends are also getting older programming doesn't mean the same thing to me that it used to mean um, and it's, you know, it's, it is also about AI. Of course it is about codex, but it's also about my journey. And one interesting thing that I'm finding starting working on, working on the series, um, I think the series will actually have some pretty strong feminist undertones. Um, I started writing the series and I realized, um, 
one of the things that I've always hated about programming is actually the people. Um, I don't like <laughs> the culture uh, for programmers. And I have actually all these criticisms of programming culture. It, you know, one of the, one of the craziest things I, I found about programming culture, uh, a lot of people in programming work in technology, yet they themselves are not at all progressive, right? And I don't just mean progressive socially and in, in all those different ways. I even mean a lot of them will dispute you uh, about MySQL versus NoSQL, <laughs> right? Like I'm saying all these technological shifts that even we experience, programmers are often the first who are against all of them. And like, anyways, like I'm just, I've just also realized that I've, I've been disappointed by the programming community and the culture for a long time time now. I don't like the culture that Linus Travolds had set up and created of this toxic programmer. And I feel like we've been living under this sort of box of a very toxic programmer culture. And I also think as well that I think uh, a lot of the people who work in programming I think there's something about programming where it, maybe it makes you a certain way. Maybe it changes the way you look at the world. Uh, I think it maybe reduces your ability to empathize with others. And this is not a good thing for society. Um, I also think there is some fraction of programmers where I don't know if they would be able to get any other job other than programming. And, you know, it's, it's sort of a class of people that have sort of uh, created this monopoly over progress and innovation and one of the things I'm, I'm actually excited about with essays on OpenAI Codex, uh, I'm, exciting for, I'm excited for coding to be liberated to the, to the rest of the world. I'm excited for more people to be able to write code. And I almost feel like innovation and all these things have been in a stranglehold because of this class of people. And so anyways, it's a very, you know, challenging series. It is not like GPTX Dolly at our multimodal future. That series is architected around my ideas about the future. Every video is some core idea. Um, this is very different. I, you know, it's meant to challenge you. It's meant to make you think, uh, you know, I'll be sharing more controversial opinions and, you know, sharing, of course, just my perspective on it and, and my journey. Um, and I'm, I, I'm really inspired for that series by a book called Life in Code. I'm, I'm going to put the, uh, you know, the, 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 the image of the book cover, uh, for you, but like, uh, I was just really moved by that book. And I, you know, I almost want to look at the programming world from some anthropomorphic perspective. And that's what I've been doing when I've been writing it so far. So anyways, like, I'm a little bit sad that I have to put this project on hiatus. Like I've, I've really been, uh, looking to put it out there, but the timing is just not panning out, but it's, it's definitely not over. Um, one other piece is I'm just like a little bit confused about how I want to name this project. <laughs> like it's called essays on OpenAI Codex, but I, I like, I, I may have to rename it cause I just, I, I don't know. Like I, it, it's not necessarily an OpenAI thing, right? Like Salesforce has code gen, you know, you can spin up your own coding models, right? Like, uh, I don't know if it's worth, I don't know if it makes sense to necessarily group group the company in here, um, although they may be the genesis for it. And I just don't want to conflate people's opinions of OpenAI with, you know, sort of one of, sort of my more uh, spicier hot takes <laughs> around programming, programmer culture, and programmer life. Um, but anyways, the project's on a, on a hiatus. Uh, we will 
revisit it in the future. Um, and of course, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys saw, OpenAI recently put out uh, a blog post update about all the different startups that are using it. Very exciting. And I believe I saw today that GitHub Copilot plans by the end of the summer to be publicly available as well. So everyone will be able to use GitHub Copilot. And my prediction for this year is Codex will get, you know, maybe like 50% better or like some crazy amount where it might be writing half your code. So the timing creatively just doesn't work out. Like I'm just so busy. I got like my job. I got like, you know, the news series. I got YouTube videos. Uh, if I had more bandwidth, I would absolutely be working on it. But anyway, so all together today, we talked about a few things. We talked about Google Imogen, Gato. I, I explained the whole oversized grizzly bear thing. I talked about my new series. Uh, that is coming out this summer. We talked about recombinant art, this term I'm really excited about. I talked about different changes and growth, how the Dolly 2 multimodal AI space is accelerating creatively. And then finally, I closed on an update on my on my next series, Essays on OpenAI Codex, which I repeat is on hiatus, as much as I'd like to be working on it. Uh, anyways, that is it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Multimodal. Multimodal by Baxter Future is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. I use Pocket Cast is available on there. You can find me on Twitter at B-A-K-Z-T Future. By now, I hope you're keeping up with all the YouTube videos I'm putting out every day on Dolly2, youtube.com slash B-A-K-Z-T Future. And finally, you know about my newsletter, B-A-K-Z-T Future.substack.com. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good week. Bye.